So good morning to you all. Um, I'm very happy to have this opportunity um, to visit your beautiful school. Um, I'm, uh, I arrived in Bhutan um, yesterday and I am accompanied um, by a group of teachers um, from Thailand, and we are all involved in project to a project to try to increase the amount of Buddhist wisdom in the education system. Now, um, as you can see, I, I'm a monk, but I'm dressed very differently from the monks in Bhutan, and we belong to a different uh, school of Buddhism. But if any of you have studied the history of Buddhism and the different schools and sects of Buddhism, one thing is very noticeable is that there have never been any uh, wars or any violence between the different schools of Buddhism. You might think that that is quite normal, but um, for myself, uh, I was um, born and spent the first um, 17 years of my life in England and in Europe. Um, we've had a long history of conflicts and wars between religions, and even between different sects of the same religion. <clears throat> and so in, in, in Europe and in the past, um, people don't really um, generally look upon religion as something that necessarily brings peace to the world. Often it brings a lot of conflict. And one of the reasons uh, for that is that most of the major religions in the world are belief systems. And those religions teach that after you die, you go to heaven if you believe what their, the holy book says. And if you don't believe it, even if you're a very good person, you can't go to heaven. So you can imagine that um, this is going to, always going to cause problems because um, if you think that all the people who don't believe your religion are going to go to hell or going to go to a bad place after death, then you have to think, well, what's my responsibility? Um, should I try to convert them so that they can go to heaven also? But everyone believes that they're right and everyone else is wrong, and it causes a lot of problems. Now, what is unique? about um, Buddhism is that it's a different kind of religion altogether. And um, I would call Buddhism an education system. So 
So if we look upon the teachings um, of the Buddha as an education, then we can see uh, why the different schools of religion, of, of Buddhism, get on rather well. Um, because all the schools of Buddhism um, have one goal. The, the Buddha explained this goal with a simile. He said, just as the water in all of the seas of the world, all of the oceans of the world, has one taste, a salty taste. Similarly, all the teachings of the Buddha, and we can say all the teachings and all the different sects of Buddhism, if they are true Buddhist teachings, they all have the single taste of liberation. They help us to be free uh, of all suffering and the causes of suffering and all our attachments and <clears throat> the things that create problems for ourselves in our, our lives and our families and in our societies. So the difference is more one of method, methodology. Now, the, um, the school um, of Buddhism that I um, belong to, um, some, they used to call Hinayana, like the small vehicle, um, and compared with the Mahayana, which is the big vehicle. That's just a diff slightly different approach. Um, some, pe some people would think, well, big vehicle is better than a small vehicle. But that's not always the case, isn't it? If you had to go on a journey in a, um, on a good road in a sports car, like a Maserati or, or a Ferrari, that's a small car, but it's better than a, uh, and a big old car, isn't it? So the size of the vehicle is not always the main consideration. Now there is um, a very important Buddhist teaching um, that all schools of Buddhism, I think, would agree with. In that teaching, the Buddha said there are two ways to worship the Buddha. One way is to offer candles and incense and butter lamps and all the um, various um, holy objects. Um, and the second way is to make an offering or to show your devotion to the Buddha by trying to practice his teachings the best way you can. So if in our daily life we don't have much opportunity to go to a monastery or to meet with monks, uh, we can still uh, worship the Buddha very well. If you're being, for instance, if you feel very selfish um, and greedy and you find a way to let go of that selfishness and greed, then at that moment you are worshipping the Buddha. Or if you lose your temper with someone and you're very angry and jealous and you let go of that anger and jealousy, then you are worshipping the Buddha at that moment. If you're very confused and full of doubts and, um, and your mind just uh, obsessed with very silly and trivial things and you put them down, 
and you turn your mind towards more useful and beneficial things, um, then you're worshipping the Buddha. So the Buddhist teaching is, is a very practical one. You're not so concerned about uh, the beginning of the world or what happened in the past, not so concerned about next life or future lives. What we're most concerned with is the quality of our present life. So Buddhism is not something that you go to study in a monastery, in a temple. Um, it's about your everyday life, how you're living your life, how you treat the people in your family, how you treat your friends, how you treat your teachers, um, how you how you deal with the experiences in your life. Now, um, in education, um, there has for a long time, there's been too much emphasis on the, um, called the IQ side. And the education, particularly um, that based on the Western model, has been rather unbalanced. Now there are some efforts to, um, to change that, to remedy that, and it's here that we can see the value of the Buddhist model, because it's a comprehensive, all-round model for education. It educates um, every area of your life. There was a famous um, experiment took place in America many years ago now. And in this experiment, um, a number of children of four years old were, um, uh, were taken into a room, one by one. And the teacher gave the child, uh, each child, a sweet or a biscuit, very delicious biscuit. And said, this is for you. Now I have to go to do some business um, outside. And I'll come back in 10 minutes. If you still have your biscuit, I will give you a second one as a reward. But if you eat your biscuit, that's all you get. And so the teacher would go outside. So the small children, they had a real dilemma because they really want to eat the biscuit. It's so delicious. But then their, their mind's telling them, but if you can just... Um, control your impulse to eat the biscuit, if you can be patient, then you'll get two biscuits rather than one, it's better. And so some of the children just closed their eyes so they couldn't see the biscuit, they wouldn't be tempted, some of them hid the biscuit, some of them walked up and down, and some of the children couldn't resist it, they just ate the biscuit. And the, um, the teachers, they, they made a record of the, the children who could resist the temptation, who could be patient, and those who couldn't. And then they also gave them the IQ test. And then they um, kept um, some records of these children throughout their school career. And then at the age of 17, uh, when they were preparing to go to university, um, they did these SAT tests, university entrance tests, and they got the results of these tests, and they compared them to the results of the biscuit test when they were 
four years old and the IQ test when they were four years old. Now, what's interesting is there was no relationship at all between the IQ level at four years old and the success at 17 or 18 years old. You could not say, oh, this child, four years old, is a high IQ, he's going to be very successful. Um, but what was very interesting was that the children who could resist the temptation, they could control their impulses, they were patient at four years old, these children were the highest scorers on the, uh, on the university entrance examination. And these children's lives were followed and they found out generally the children who developed the patience at an early age tend to have happy fam much happier family lives, much less divorce, um, much more successful in their careers, um, and generally by any standard, a much um, happier life. So um, what is education all about? You know, sometimes we think we have to learn these things and memorize them and be able to re reproduce the things that we have memorized. And that is one, certainly one important part of education, isn't it? But this kind of tests are pointing to the eternal truths that the Buddha and his disciples have been teaching us for more than 2,500 years. That the, um, the intellectual um, skills um, will only really blossom when they are accompanied by the life skills. And one of the most important life skills is ability to be patient and to be bear with things that we don't like. So um, if, we, if we were to be asked, how can you tell the difference between um, the intelligence or, or the maturity of a child and a grown-up person? Now, what, what distinguishes them? I think one very, uh, very simple um, way of answering that question is when we look at how we deal with the things that we like and the things that we don't like. Now, if a small child, when he, he's like an emperor, when he wants something, you know, he's got to have that. Um, and you say, no, you can't have it. I want it. I want it. And, and his desire um, is so strong that he can't see um, any other um, perspective. It's only if, it, if you want it, it's good. If you don't want it, it's bad. So um, if we start to look at life and be more reflective, that means we we take the various experiences in our life as raw materials to, to learn from, then we begin to see that some things, when we first experience them, we don't like them, for sure. Some kinds of study, some kinds of work, um, they're just not pleasant. Um, but um, if we bear with them and we're patient, in the long run, we see that they give us a great deal of happiness in our lives. 
the same by the same token something when we first experience them they're really enjoyable and we really like them a lot but if we're not careful they can cause us a lot of suffering in the long run um, so people get addicted to drink and drugs and all kinds of things because when they first start it feels really good um, but things that feel really good not necessarily good for you so if we want to be live our life um, in a wise and mature way one of the important things is we don't just follow that feeling of feeling good or feeling not good or feeling excited or feeling bored we have to be able to take the long-term view the bigger picture the longer perspective and that's where we see the maturity um, arising when you say do you like this yeah I really like this are you going to do it no why not um, because in, in it doesn't agree with my goals it's not if I follow this if I do this I'm not I'm going to turn into a kind of person I don't want to be other things are really unpleasant and difficult but you stay with them because you know if you stay with it um, then in the future um, you will experience a lot of happiness and benefit from doing that so being patient means you don't just react immediately I don't like this because it makes me feel bad or I it's boring or it's not fun um, you just say yeah well I, that's how it is right now but it changes and we have a great deal of uh, hidden capacity for virtue and goodness and happiness in our life but it has to be trained and developed in a systematic way the um, so Buddhism is a religion that's saying uh, you have to put this to the test for yourself you have to um, look and see not just believe what the Buddha said the Buddha said when you're uh, very um, selfish and bad-tempered angry and jealous um, you don't experience any happiness in your life and if you don't have happiness in your life you don't have happiness to give to other people so um, how can we train our mind uh, to be free of these things well meditation is one of the practices and meditation is a training to bring you into the present moment so often our minds are always wandering around into what happened yesterday what's going to happen in the future it's like we're in a dream state so the Buddha says we need to wake up wake up to what's really going on and then we can see for ourselves what really makes us happy what really makes us unhappy these days um, we have more and more um, pressure uh, from the environment and from advertising and so many things to make us believe that we need to um, consume things we need to buy things we need to um, 
gain things, uh, experiences and objects to be able to be happy. Um, so we need to put that to the test. Is that really true? A lot of things you find when you, uh, if you want really think, oh, I, I, need, uh, I need this, I need this, I really want that. And when you finally get, get it, it's a little bit after the first joy, now finally I got this wonderful thing, then after a little while, you just feel a little bit of disappointment. Yeah, it's good, but it's not really, it doesn't really answer all my problems. It doesn't really make me feel um, the way I thought it would. And then you get used to it. So there are always things that are being held up, you know, just this one thing and then life will be okay. You just get this one thing. Um, you get this academic um, qualification, or you get this job, or you fall in love and you find some the woman or the girl or the boy of your dreams, and everything will be all right. Um, there's always just one thing more. And um, a long time ago, uh, one of the richest men in the world was called John uh, Rockefeller. And he had, um, you know, he was as rich in his day as Bill Gates is in, in present day. And one day someone asked him, that, Mr. Rockefeller, you have so much money, so many millions and millions and millions of dollars. And can you tell me how much is enough? And John Rockefeller said, just a little bit more. Yeah. So... Even with that much money, it's just a little bit more, then it will be enough. So in the end, you know, where is our happiness? If we always think happiness is just another step down the path, just a little bit further, just a little bit more of this, just a little bit more of that, then I'll be happy. We're lying to ourselves. We don't have to wait because we can find this happiness within us. There is a very... Um, Nice old story that some of you may have heard. The story, a um, young person is asleep at night, and then a deity, like a, a, a devata, um, comes into the room and says, I'm going to take you on a trip. Um, and he said, where to? I'm going to take you to see heaven and hell. Would you like to go? And he said, yes, okay. I said, which would you like to see first? Uh, okay, we can, um, hell, we go to hell first and see heaven afterwards. I think it would be better. So they disappear just like that, and they reappear in a room. And it's not like um, hell in the, in the pictures and the, on, the, on the walls of, of churches and monasteries. And in this room, there was a long table on the table, it's all the most marvelous foods, so delicious foods. Um, and how could that be hell, all this great food? I would love to eat all that food. And then uh, looked at the people sitting along the two sides of the table. And all the people are so thin and skinny and, and miserable and unhappy. And... And the young, uh, the young child said, why are they so thin? Why, with all that beautiful food, um, so delicious food, uh, can they, 
are they forbidden to eat the food? And uh, the, the guide said, no, they can eat the food, but there is one rule. Can you see, they all have a spoon, and the spoon is like one meter long. And when they take the food, you see, it's very awkward, because they take the food, and they can't get the food to their mouth. And that's why they never eat anything. So they're in front of all this wonderful food. Um, they can eat the food, but they have to sit in their seat. They can't get up, and they have to use this long spoon. And he said, this is hell. He said, now can we go to heaven? He said, yes, we can go to heaven. So they go into another room, and he's very surprised, because it's going to be a very different place to hell. But in actual fact, it's exactly the same. The room was the same, the table was the same, food was the same, the seats were the same, but all of the people uh, sitting on the seats were healthy and strong and smiling and happy. And the child said, why, why are they so happy? Um, can they just use their fingers or a small spoon? Um, and the guy said, no, they have to use the long, long spoon also. Then, can you, uh, can you understand? Does anybody know why they were so happy? Yes. Because there's the long table, and the people on this side, they take the food, and they fed the person on that side. And the person on that side took the food and, and fed the person on this side. So everyone got enough to eat. So... You know, uh, I don't think this would accord with the idea of heaven and hell in our scriptures, but it's, it's a story which has a very good meaning, and it means that in our present life, we can make our family home into a heaven or a hell. We can make school into a heaven or a hell. We can make our country into a heaven and a hell just through the way that we approach our life the attitudes that we have, the way that we treat. If everybody's thinking, what's in it for me? I've got to be number one. I don't care about anybody else. I'm, I want to be rich and famous and successful. Um, then they're like the person in hell who's always using the long spoon and actually never really finding the happiness that they wish for. But when we uh, seek to help each other, then... We may not be so rich and so famous and so successful in a worldly way, but we can sometimes feel almost like uh, we're in heaven because of the goodness and the, uh, the quality of our hearts and minds. And this is something that we can all develop. There is some, sometimes an idea that um, you have to be really... Um, unscrupulous and dishonest um, to be successful and that good people and people who try to develop their lives in spiritual ways um, will always be taken advantage of but I don't think that's the case and in Buddhism we say that goodness is the expression of intelligence. If you are truly intelligent, you will act in a good and a kind way. 
Um, because the more that you understand yourself, the more you understand other people, the more you understand the way things are, the less that you want to take advantage of anybody, um, the less you, you will um, feel that you can hurt other people. You want to create as much happiness for yourself and for others. So um, these days, Bhutan, as you know, has become very famous, not just because of its natural beauty and the culture of the country, but most recently uh, for the, um, the GNH um, approach to development. Many people throughout the world are very inspired and interested in this. But um, the, it is important that uh, all of us really um, start off with the humble uh, recognition. We don't really know what happiness is. No. Um, we need to educate our understanding of what happiness is. And what happiness will, uh, will be for an uneducated person and for an educated person quite different. Or happiness for a very selfish person and for an unselfish person are, are, are different. So um, we need to be uh, looking at happiness, how to create happiness for ourselves and for others, um, and how to guard our minds against all those things that destroy happiness in ourselves and others. Now, when you are uh, when you are more mindful and awake and aware, you can take care of your mind. And if you take care of your mind, you don't get so stressed out by things, you don't get so anxious, you don't get depressed so much, your mind becomes strong. And so apart from you becoming happy, you can use your mind much more skillfully in your, uh, your studies and memorizing uh, your um, investigations and analysis, all your higher mental faculties um, become sharper and stronger when you have the firm moral and emotional and spiritual context in which to apply those intellectual powers. So let's say you have a, a, a very a good car. They are a Mercedes uh, car, latest model, it, it runs very well, it's a safe car, it's a smooth car, it's a fast car, um, everything good about it, but it doesn't have any wheels. So, you know, you know, you could just put it and look at it every day and maybe they feel quite good about it, but you wouldn't ever be able to drive anywhere because you don't have any wheels. And it's like if you develop your intellect um, and so you can you're very good at maths and science and all these kinds of things but you neglect the other areas of your life then you won't be able to use that intelligence in a very good way it's like you have a car a very good car but it doesn't run anywhere so if uh, you can see when um, when there are a lot of stress and tension and threats and difficulties and pain and suffering, your mind doesn't work very well. If you don't know how to deal with the emotional um, challenges of life, um, you'll, be, you'll find that 
your intellect doesn't help you um, because you're too, you're completely swamped. It's like you've been flooded with emotion and uh, intellectual powers can't do their work. So this is why the Buddha said we have to educate every area of our life uh, all together at the same time. Um, so I'd encourage you to, to look at this um, perspective on education and also to consider that um, finding a way to have victory over yourself, meaning victory over all the negative qualities in your heart, all the, the greed and the jealousies and the uh, anger and the anxiety, all these things, they, they don't belong to the mind. Um, they're only there because you haven't um, trained your mind or cleaned your mind um, as well as you might. And that overcoming these things and having victory over these things um, is the greatest um, worship of the Lord Buddha. So I'd like to um, share these few words with you today and um, would like to invite anyone who has questions uh, to ask or anything you would like to discuss or if you would like to ask questions of the teachers who came with me then you can do that also.